What's up, guys? Rachel Lindsay here, and I am teaming up with your favorite Ringer podcasters to deliver the Bravo drama and news that you've been craving on Morally Corrupt. It's the show about all things Bravo, from the housewives to summer house and everything in between. We'll be mentioning it all every week. Check it out on Spotify and TheRinger.com. This episode is brought to you by Peacock, presenting critically acclaimed originals for your Emmy consideration. Stream limited series Apples Never Fall, starring Annette Bening and Sam Neill, and The Tattooist of Auschwitz, based on the best-selling novel. Plus, TV movie Mr. Monk's Last Case and the semi-animated In the Know from Mike Judge and Zach Woods. Finally, head to the Highlands with Alan Cumming in the hit competition series The Traitors. Peacock is your consideration destination this Emmy season. From Academy Award winner Steven Zalian. This is what I do for a living. Top critics agree Netflix's Ripley is masterful, sumptuous, and suspenseful. He's a liar. It's his profession. I have no idea what you're talking about. Ripley is the finest thing TV has offered in many years. The Guardian gives it five stars and raves. Andrew Scott is absolutely spellbinding. For your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series, Ripley. I like the name. All right, it is Thursday, May 19th, and today we are talking about a subject that I know, Producer Craig, this is near and dear to your heart, the state of comedy. Movies, TV, stand-up, what the hell's going on? I know in film, it's pretty bleak out there. Very few comedies. Yeah, the, the last five highest grossing comedies in theaters over the last five years are The Bad Guys, which is animated. Which is an animated kids movie, so that doesn't count. 2021, it was Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I also don't count. No, that's a, that's like a fam, that's like an action adventure reboot. 2020 was Like a Boss, a movie I had to be reminded of what that actually was. Yeah, Tiffany Haddish. 2019 was a movie called The Upside, which is with Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston, which was like I don't half a comedy, I suppose. And then it was and, Night and School a, and a remake. And Night School is a legitimate Kevin Hart comedy, but. Right. Uh, but yeah, that is super bleak in movies. And on streaming, you know, there are comedies, but they're usually disappointing. I haven't watched the new Rebel Wilson movie on Netflix, but uh, I watched the Hulu comedy Vacation Friends with John Cena. That was pretty bad. So basically in film, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bleak out there. TV, better. There's good stuff if you know where to look. Yeah. Uh, Hacks is a funny show on HBO. There's there Totally. Some. There are, you know, Atlanta is still great. You know, the... The the other two on HBO Max is a really funny comedy. But again, it's just the fragmentation out there. There's no comedies that like everybody loves. It's kind of like, oh, I, I saw this one. I, I watch Impractical Jokers or I watch some CBS sitcom that you know people over 50 love. So there's really no consensus on that. And that's kind of what we wanted to get our guests today in here to talk about because their business is comedy. They are the CEO and chief content officer of Funny or Die, Mike Farah and Joe Farrell. And if you don't know Funny or Die, it's been around 15 years now. And it is basically, it started as a web operation. Famously, they launched with The Landlord, which was the Will Farrell video with Adam McKay's daughter that I'm sure you've seen a hundred times, got passed around your dorm. The decade after that, they kind of transitioned into being more of a studio, and that's what they are today. They got sold a couple of years ago to a guy named Henry Munoz, owns it now, and they are really trying to be a studio that produces comedy 
mostly TV and some film. They've done stuff like Drunk History. They have stand-up specials with people like Jared Carmichael, and they've done they did Billy Eichner's show uh, for True TV, which originated on Funny or Die. Um, they've got a deal with the American Vandal guys, and they're doing a new show with him that we'll talk about a little bit. But we really wanted to get these guys in here to talk about the state of comedy, where it is, where it's going, and what you can expect going forward. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Mike Farah and Joe Farrell. They are the CEO and Chief Content Officer of Funny or Die. You guys are now like the experienced hands. I, I always thought of Funny or Die as like the digital upstart that was going to remake the industry and kind of, you know, take basically take the entire comedy universe and turn it into digital shorts. And you guys have expanded way beyond that. All right, so the reason why I wanted to have you guys on the show is a topic that I often talk about with people in the industry and I don't have the answer for. And that is basically like, what is the state of comedy right now? Because it's in this weird place. I mean, we just came off this Netflix event that they had in LA last week where they had hundreds of comedy shows around town. Seemed like it was a pretty big success. I saw Mulaney at Hollywood Bowl. It was sold out. There were all kinds of big events in comedy. And yet there's only one comedy in movie theaters this summer. It's called Easter Sunday with a comedian called Joe Coy. This used to be the pecking ground for, you know, the, the, this used to be the, the place where the biggest comedies would debut is in, you know, the summer months. Not happening. And the state of TV comedy is kind of weird, too. I mean, they, a lot of these comedies that get nominated for Emmys, they're not even that funny. I mean, if you look at things like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel or even Atlanta, which I love, they're not strictly, you know, comedies as we once knew them. So, like, what is the state of comedy in entertainment right now? Joe, you want that one? Oh, nice, Mike. Thank you, Mike. I mean, that's, one of the, that's one of the biggest. That's one of the biggest handoffs I've seen in Hollywood history. No, it, 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 it is a challenging market. There's no doubt about it. But I would just say, even from a more holistic standpoint, the 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 main contradiction in Hollywood that I think producers are feeling is that there's never been more money spent on content, and yet it is so so hard to get things made. And even the definition of success when things get made is just dramatically limited, right? And so I think Joe has a unique perspective because as the chief creative officer, he's really in the trenches producing these shows and talking to buyers every single day. So we talk a lot about it, right? Because of the evolution that we've had, Funny or Die is now 15 years old and it's a much different company in 2022 than it was in 2007. So yes, Joe, I, I did punt it to you, but for a reason. I, in one sense, the community is thriving. I think, you know, you make the point about the, the Netflix festival, which was amazing to see so many people, you know, locally championed. I think ways to break into comedy are very easy through social uh, media and the internet and ways to sort of get that start. I think where we're seeing the challenge, and that's, you know, I was, I've been a Funnier Die 12 years, started as an intern. So it's like I've come through the, the sort of generational shift here is that middle class where you can get training doing things that aren't TikTok, Snapchats, the chasm between a television show and a movie and breaking in, that sort of middle class time has really shrunk. And so I, I refer to sort of a, a, 
It's not a lost generation, but it's a generation of creators that are looking for outlets to make things. And if you're not on SNL or a late night show, where do you go to do your comedy to be seen and noticed? And I think uh, the outlets and the consolidation of streaming, we are just seeing this sort of crunch happen. So it's not a surprise that there's just one studio film that's a comedy this summer because there's just not that many being made. At Funny or Die, we are in the business of getting people their first or second show, and that is our challenge, is how do we get people their first show? And it used to be we could get them a short, we could do a couple shorts, then they get plucked by a late-night show, then they get to SNL, then they get staffed, and there, there was that ladder. The ladder is being dismantled, and we're trying to put it back together in real time. It doesn't seem like there's that engine. I mean, there's no like Apatow machine where, you know, you had 15 years ago, there were five, seven people that became legitimate stars off of his shows and movies. And that generation is now 40 years old. You look at guys like Rogan or Jason Siegel or you know, that crew is kind of aging up and there's really nobody behind them. I mean, I heard one person say to me the other day, Reality TV killed comedy. People look to those shows now for laughs. And there isn't that desire for scripted comedy in the TV space. I I disagree. I think that if, you know, shows like Schitt's Creek and Veep and other like legitimately funny comedies are successful, there's just a lot fewer of them. And I don't know why. Well, that, that brings up the, the classic point about comedy is like that person saying that to you shows just how subjective comedy is, right? It is subjective and it's purely original. And these are things that freak streamers out, right? There are three very distinct forces at hand. You have like traditional Hollywood that just wants to go with its gut and kind of like pay the same people to do the same stuff. You have the engineers who just totally believe in the algorithm And now because of the response to Paramount Global and Netflix, you have Wall Street finally putting pressure on, you know, streaming in a way that didn't exist. So we've never been in this moment where you have these three competing forces all colliding. And that's why I feel like streamers and and studios, comedy just feels less essential, which is unfortunate because now with everything going on in the world, comedy has never been more needed. Right. And it's so fractured. I mean, you look at what I find. I mean, I I stumbled on a show, The Other Two, on HBO Max last year, which is a hilarious comedy. And I thought it was amazing. But then you see, you know, friends of mine have never heard of it. But but Matt, also to, to Joe's point about the latter, one of the creators of that is Chris Kelly who got his start at The Onion, amongst other things, then came to Funny or Die. He was an immediate hit at Funny or Die, then went to SNL. And then Ken Alterman and the group at Comedy Central then bought that show. So that's a a perfect example of the ladder that Joe was talking about that has been dismantled. And then I watched it on HBO Max when they sold it to HBO Max. I did not watch it on Comedy Central. Yeah, no, it's just the discovery is tougher these days, I feel like. Um, what excites you guys about comedy right now? Well, I think I think we are, I'm a bit of a dinosaur in that I still love getting people their first show. And that is sort of my vocation. And so I, Mike and I continue to look for cracks in the market and opportunities where we can slip in and get, there is no greater feeling than finding someone you know is talented and then convincing someone to give them a shot. 
Like that is nothing we've done or I've done in the 12 years of Funny or Die has been as exciting as when that works. So give me an example. Give me an example. Uh, well, an example where that worked was a show we did for Netflix, uh, American Vandal, where we had two creators who came out of the college humor and Funny or Die world came to us with a two-page pitch, and we turned it into the two seasons of American Mandel. We now are about to premiere their second series on Paramount Plus called Players, which is about League of Legends esports. And that cast is, again, unknowns. They are people that you have not seen. The, the two leads, they've done one or two things before on camera, but these will be sort of world debuts for these actors, and they are incredible. So my excitement is not only because I think that show is going to be great, but also I know how these kids' lives are going to change overnight, right? And so that is that is a thrill. And so many of our shows to look for. Now, to your point about the, uh, the struggle, getting those shows sold in an era where cable scripted is no longer focusing on comedy and streamers are no longer focusing on discovery of voices, it's where are we taking those folks? And to your point of like, well, where do people go to watch? I do think if I want to get a quick laugh in the day, I may watch TikTok or Instagram. I watch clips of The Office on Instagram. It's fed to me constantly, which says something about my algorithm. But like, I'm watching The Office. I'm watching it in clips on Instagram stories. So people want to get that quick laugh. And are they committing to the show? Streamers see that. And are they buying the show? So that's the struggle. That's a great point because we're so inundated on our social feeds with funny stuff, whether it's the, you know, influencer talking about, you know, her struggle to find a date or if clips from The Office or Shit's Creek or, you know, anything that that makes us laugh on social media, are we seeking out those shows? But there still is an audience for that stuff. I mean, if you look at the 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 recent deal for Schitt's Creek at Hulu, like that is a massive deal for proven hits. And I don't know where the next sitcom hit is coming from. It just doesn't seem like the streamers and studios are investing in that. But, but that's the amazing thing about comedy is like, you know, because it's not based on huge stars doing huge dramas and existing IP, Comedies are always those surprises, like Shit's Creek, right? Like Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso was definitely a surprise, I believe, to, to Apple TV. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's the work that Joe does every day is finding those talents that could create that next surprise. And that's what I, I love doing. That's what always will excite me about comedy is how can you figure out something that is original and surprising and unexpected, but can still reach a big audience. And so we will need, and this is the, 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 the TED Talk plea I make to buyers all the time. If we can keep our costs responsible, take the shot. And you might have to take more, but if the shot hits, they go big. But it just requires shots. And that's in an era where there is really people focusing on the bottom line and what's our return? Is it better to develop this IP and then bring in people to make this superhero story funny? Let's populate it with comedy actors and we'll, we'll sort of get the best of both worlds. We see a lot of those mashups now, right? And versus saying like, this is an original voice, we'll keep the cost down and make this comedy. That's what Shit's Creek became, right? So it's like that, uh, that's the daily struggle for us. 
And I feel like on the movie side, you mentioned the superhero stuff, but a lot of the lane for the mid-budget comedy that we saw 10, 15 years ago is now taken up by the superhero stuff. If you look at like the Thor movies or Free Guy or, you know, things like that are basically comedies dressed up with special effects. And that is a higher value proposition for people that are considering going to movie theaters. And I love them. I love those movies. I love that they're funny. They are funny. I think it's like, the community still exists. The comedians are out there. It's where the money's being allocated. I would say for people in the discovery business, I am excited by the emergence of streaming features only because for years we would tell writers, there's no comedy. You'll never get a comedy movie made. You'll never get a comedy movie made. You know, go to TV, go to TV. And now increasingly it's, well, if streaming features can be made for a responsible budget, you might be able to get your movie idea made. Right. And so we're seeing a lot of TV writers start to say, well, you have cast that doesn't want to commit to multiple options. They like limited series or I'll just do I'll do one season of something. We're starting to see like, well, come and play with us for a couple weeks and we'll make a streaming feature. It's less of a risk for a streamer and people are getting their voice out there. So I I, I may be alone, but I am hopeful and excited that streaming comedy features might be a way for people to break in. Top five comedy stars right now. Let's start with movies. Are there any that actually matter, that get their movie made regardless? I mean, Kevin Hart, obviously, let's, I'd still say Melissa McCarthy probably gets whatever she wants to do made, probably for a streamer, not necessarily for theaters these days. Seth Rogen, Will Ferrell, Sandler, obviously. I think Kristen Wiig is in that group to some degree. Wasn't she trying to be a dramatic actress at one point? Yeah, but I think everyone you listed on that that list as right, they all are, they all are. Yeah, Mike, I think it goes to your point about you know one, the market is pushing some of those comedians into big franchises, right? So they may want to make their comedy, but they're getting a massive offer from Marvel to be funny in a superhero movie, right? So it's like the the line of what of, of what the genre means. But I think also, Mike, you've talked about how comedians want to be. They want whatever they do next to make sure it's original, their voice, and no one else has done it. Top five stars in TV. Sudeikis, probably number one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who else? Uh, geez. Because when you're talking about TV, man, it's like Ted Lasso will probably be the only comedy that even goes beyond, like, I, I don't think they'll go beyond three seasons just as, like, a creative choice. Hmm. But, like, I'm trying to think of, like, a comedy star vehicle I mean, the people who matter in TV, Donald Glover, uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, probably, whatever she does next. Julie Louis-Dreyfus, absolutely. I mean, Donald is just such, like, a singular artist, right? Like, I, I would not see him doing another series. And I hear, I, I've heard anecdotally, mm -hmm. they don't say it to us because we're in the emerging business. Sure. But even the biggest names, you go through that Hollywood meeting where they say, we are so excited to work with you. And it's not going to be this show, but make sure you bring us your next idea. Mm -hmm. And those creators saying like, well, no, this is the show I want to do. Yeah, yeah. It's not for us for all of these reasons, but we so want to be in business with you. <laughs> so I think that there is, there is this, and I, I have been in a pitch where, you know, we're, we're in these rooms with different creators and I've had someone, an exec sort of pull on my sleeve as we're leaving and they'll say, well, what's, what's the next show you're bringing in? And I said, well, we just pitched you this one. They're like, yeah, I, I don't know if we can do this one, but what's the next one you're bringing in? And I was like, well, I, I'm championing this one right now. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, there's this sense of like, uh, what's, I'm going to hear, uh, what's next, what's next? And so I think that is, 
there is that no matter how big the name, I think people are still having to sing for their supper for the actual show. Interesting. Stand-up world. It seems like a lot of the names who matter are just the legacy people and, you know, the Seinfelds, uh, people who have been around for, for a long time. Chappelle. You know, if I had to name the top five probably right now, I mean, I'd probably say Bill Burr is on there, uh, Mulaney, you know, Gabriel Iglesias just sold out Dodger Stadium. Sebastian. Sebastian Manicalso, good one. Bo Burnham, um, if, you know, whenever he decides to go out, he's gigantic. Other than Bo Burnham, these guys are older. Who are the comedy stars under 30 right now? Are there any? Well, let me ask you, how do you get to that stadium? You're huge on TikTok. Now what? Where do you go? SNL has a defined writer's room. The late night shows have 12 writers, 15 writers. Where do you go? How do you get to the stadium? The, the way forward used to be clear. And that's what we're struggling with and dealing with every day is how are we getting the, It's not that they're not there. You can go to the smaller theaters here in L.A. and New York and Chicago, and you can see, like, there is talent. Where do they go? And I have talked to some of the emerging platforms, the digital platforms, saying, commit a portion of your budget to an experimental hour and let us just fill that hour. And look, you may have weeks of misses, but that one hit can get people on their way to the stadium. And that will take time, but you need to start somewhere. And it's that start that we are struggling to find for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I would say I would say the next fifteen years of Funny or Die is going to be totally informed by our ability to figure out who is next, right? Because that's a, that's an issue that all creators have is just kind of like you get into that comfort zone and you kind of just collaborate with the same people. We're investing heavily to make sure that we do find those folks at, like a Billy Eichner that we we started working with so many years ago. And he started online and then he got his TV shots and 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 now he has this this amazing movie Bros coming out um, later on this this year, September, I believe. So trying to answer that question, and maybe it is someone from TikTok who who can from TikTok can be more than a marketing solution but can be a storytelling solution. These are the types of things that, you know, that's why we're so excited to have Henry invest in the company. Um, And and also diversity is such a huge part of the next 15 years. You know, we, 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 other than Kevin Hart, we primarily named, you know, white performers and comedians. How can Latinos and more African-Americans, Asian-Americans, the way the shape and the composition of the country and the world is going, how can Funnier Die find those folks and help, to Joe's earlier point, rebuild that ladder for them? Where do you guys fall on the cancel culture debate? I mean, I, I hear it all the time where people say, oh, you know, it's really hard to be funny these days or have a comedy because you have to be so careful about offending anyone. And movies from... 10, 15, 20 years ago that were huge hits, like, you know, Knocked Up or 40 Old Virgin, like those would have trouble getting made these days because the studios are so uh, sensitive about what might offend people. Do you guys think that's a problem in comedy or is that overblown? Joe, like I started uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you want to take that one? Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um 
I mean, Joe and I are not stand-up comedians. We're, we're, we're not writers. We, we are producers through and through. So I, I don't know if where I sit, I'm the best person to answer that. You know, I want to believe that in, in this world, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? You can have freedom in speech and, and there can be a comfort level to share a point of view. Um, maybe people agree with that point of view. Maybe, maybe they don't. There's, it all depends on what is said. You can't just loop, you know, kind of bundle everything in as like what should be canceled and what isn't. This is a, a spectrum of, of many colors. It's not even a spectrum of gray. It's, it's the entire spectrum of colors. And because comedy is so personal and people receiving that comedy is such a personal and subjective experience, you know, uh, who am I to say what should or shouldn't be allowed? But I, I want to think that great comedy does open up dialogue about things that hopefully can bring people more, more closely together. But I'm always uh, a very, a very happy Pollyannish optimist too. But I'm not talking about like long duck dong in 16 candles or things that are like clearly not okay these days. Something like super bad, you know, a movie about two high school kids trying to get laid. Or, you know, there's the infamous scene in 40-Year-Old Virgin where, you know, how do I know you're gay? Things like that. Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen have said, you know, they wouldn't do that scene today. Um, and I do think the norms of comedy have changed. And someone like Seth Rogen is a good example of someone who has changed with the times. If you look at a show like The Boys or some of his more recent movies, like he has navigated that and he's been smart enough. But I think a, 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 there is an element of these kind of boundary pushing movies that are not okay these days. I think people have to have the space. We did a show with Sarah Silverman, I Love You America on Hulu. And I think people have to have the space to analyze their past works and words and, you know, speak and on some level, maybe atone for what they wouldn't do again. The way you mentioned people said, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that again. And I think they need to feel, I think we need to have that dialogue saying, I said that I wouldn't say it now. I understand why I wouldn't say it now. And now I want to try and move forward as the lines and people and the dialogue expands and expands and expands. I think there is a sense of the old rules no longer apply, which is good. Right. And as we're defining the new rules, I think we want to make sure that people have space to sort of learn and figure out what they are. The, the key thing for us is punching down versus punching at power. Right. And you can feel when someone's punching down and, you know, you can you just sort of we just try and avoid that. I like what you said, Matt. I like what you said about people can change and people do evolve. Nothing about life is static. Right. And so no one's perfect. People say stupid shit all the time. Um, and if but you hope there can be a meaningful dialogue around those things to help someone change. Uh, and it, some people change more quickly than others and everyone is, has their own process. But I would always prefer to live in a world where that type of conversation and evolution can happen other than just they, someone said one thing and now never talk to them or about them or talk about forgiveness and growth ever again. That, that's, that's my personal opinion uh, about you know, how these things kind of like shake out is that, um, 
you know, not enough oxygen is given to the actual dialogue and potential for change after something that was said that was divisive, you know, is out in the world. Where do you guys draw that line? I know Netflix came under attack for the Chappelle special and chose to stand by him. Um, do you guys say to some of your artists, like, mm, don't go there? Yeah, especially, I mean, I don't especially in the digital context. I mean, obviously, TV has standards and practices and such, but it's sort of a free for all in the digital world. And you guys probably have to curate your brand as such, saying, you know, we're not going to do some of the shock comedy that may get attention but might cross a line. Correct. Look, I think life is short, careers are shorter, <laughs> and uh, we have a very we have a very limited time to amplify voices and stories. And so the the it's just one of those things of we just have to be very careful in what we pick and who we pick to do stuff with, right? And if there's just there's a lot out there and a lot of options. And so I it is something we definitely, we will provide guardrails and we're there and we work with a lot of groups internally and externally to make sure that, you know, we put our shows through filters, we have people look at stuff and we all have blind spots and how do we expose that? But it's it's not so much we're looking for creators who don't have blind spots, it's creators who are open to acknowledging that they do and how do they adjust their shows and content to acknowledge that? Because we all have them. But what you're looking for is someone who the, has the, the courage to say, you know what, I had a blind spot there, I will fix that. Um, or I will listen to that and adjust it appropriately. Um, and I think we sort of look for those creators. Or if you don't want to, you can just go start a podcast and you can say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you very much to Mike Farah and Joe Farrell from Funny or Die. Appreciate it, you guys. You guys are killing it. Um, expect to see great things coming soon. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. All right, we are back with the call sheet. I'm here with producer Craig. Craig, I know you were already probably in line for Downton Abbey, the sequel. This is Downton Abbey, A New Era, a very, very hotly anticipated adaptation of the Downton Abbey show, the second movie in the series of movies based on Downton Abbey. The first came out in 2019 and actually did almost $200 million at the box office, uh, which is kind of surprising. But it's coming out this weekend here in the U.S., and the tracking is at around 15 million, mid-teens, they say. I'm going to take the under on this one. My call sheet oh. for today. I know. Uh, call me call me ageist. Call me whatever you'd like. Um, an anti-imperialist. I'm anti-royalty. I just I don't think this movie is going to get anywhere near a $31 million opening that the original movie got about back in 2019. I can't believe that the first one made $200 million. Believe it. I mean, that's a popular show. Like it's, you know, it skews heavily older, obviously, but I know, I know younger people who watched it and I just don't, I think that the marketplace for movies catering to older audiences is just so different post pandemic. We've already seen this in the UK where the original opened to 6.2 million and the sequel opened to 3.8 million. Now, it opened in the middle of a COVID surge there, and I think it's held okay in the UT in the UK. It opened in, in April there. So maybe that will happen in the US where it won't open very big, but then it will sort of play out. And remember, this is this is a universal 
movie. It's through their Focus label. So Universal has this separate window where it's premium video on demand. So after a few weekends in theaters, it will be available at home for a significant charge. So you can pay like 20 bucks and rent it. And if I had to guess, this is, this is the kind of movie that would probably do really well on premium video on demand because the audience for it is a lot of older people who may not be comfortable going to theaters yet. Mm. So I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared to say this is going to be an outright flop, but I'm I am prepared to say that it's not going to get to 15 million on its opening weekend, but we will see. Uh, it's depressing that we've gone from talking about the state of comedy now to the Downton Abbey sequel. I'm just I'm in a bad place right now. Uh, yeah, you may have to take the weekend to compose yourself. So that is the show for today. I want to thank Mike Farah and Joe Farrell of Funny or Die. I want to thank producer Craig Korbeck, and I want to thank you. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.